Hey guys, this is Nadine. At the end of the episode, you'll hear me tell you to visit us on our private Facebook group, She's Not a Slut Yet. Well, that's no longer the name because I changed it and I added an Instagram. The new Facebook group name is Snazzy Podcast, which is spelled S-N-A-S-Y Podcast, and the Instagram page is the exact same thing. That's all the updates for now. I hope you all enjoy the episode and revisit us next week for our first movie. She's not a slut yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. So this week we're doing Kill Bill Volume 1 and we're going to do Kill Bill Volume 2 next week because it is a movie where both movies actually are just one story so it makes sense to do it all at once but it also didn't make sense to not have the second movie next week. So to start us off, Dan is going to read us some box office stats. Go for it, Dan. All right, I got this, guys. So, Kill Bill. This movie wasn't crazy expensive. It only had a $30 million budget. Domestically, it made $70 million. Internationally, 110 So, good, good, good profit. I don't know if it's too crazy, but also this movie got lots of accolades. Uh, Saturn Award in 2004 for Best Action Adventure Thriller Film. Kafka Award for Best Score. Empire Award, Best Director, Mr. Tarantino, and Best Actress, Miss Uma Thurman. Uh, Gold Derby Award, Golden Schmoes, ICS Award. So this movie is is highly well-received by critics. Even got some notoriety at the uh, MTV Movie Awards for Best Female Performance and a whole bunch of other awards. So, I mean, it did good. Uh, Around the uh, the film circuit, it had 8.1 stars for IMDb. If you go by the internet route, Rotten Tomatoes, 85%. At 81% for the audience score. So it's pretty accurate across the board. Pretty, pretty solid, pretty solid uh, performance as far as uh, critics and, and money, money making. This did not feel like a 2000s movie, by the way, but you can go into no, the it didn't. You can go into the movie facts. So there is a shit ton of interesting movie facts. So I might actually cut some out as I go down, but let's start it off. So Quentin Tarantino originally intended to cast a Japanese actress to play Oren Ishii, but before casting again, he saw Lucy Liu's work in Shanghai Noon and immediately changed Oren into a Chinese Japanese American so that Liu could play the part. I don't remember her part in Shanghai Noon. So I'm not. So (laughs) So, I mean, we're on the same page here. I suppose. God, I, I love that movie. I I remember it being played. I just don't remember all the actors in the movie, to be honest with you. (laughs) It had had Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan. God, all right. Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan is a pretty unique combination. I think I know what movie we're talking about now. Yeah. (laughs) This 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 will be uh, episode two, like two oh six. Yes. All right. Anyway, so according to Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman in the DVD documentary, the idea for doing Kill Bill began during the filming of Pulp Fiction in 1994. The two began talking about the kinds of movies that they would like to do, and Quentin said he would like to do a 70s-style kung fu flick, and Uma came up with the film's opening... I'm sorry. I'm tired tonight. Or you made me wait till like fucking almost one in the morning. It's one in the morning. Listen, I have work. I have real life responsibilities. It's so do I. All right. Blue flick. 
kung fu flick. Uma came out with the film's opening shot of her beaten up and wearing a wedding gown. So the shot where the bride splits a baseball in two, just so you know, that's actually done for real. It's just done by her stunt double, not actually by Uma Thurman. The black and white photography in the Crazy 88 fight scene is known as a homage to the 70s and 80s U.S. television airings of kung fu movies. Black and white, as well as black and red, was used to conceal the shedding of blood from television sensors. Originally, no black and white photographic effects were going to be used, and in the Japanese version, there is no black and white effects. But the MPAA demanded measures be taken to tone the scene down, and then Tarantino used that old trick to pay the homage. So Bill was not going to be who actually played Bill. Like, you don't actually see him in this movie. You see him actually see him for the first time in the second movie. Because in this movie, Jack Nicholson was considered, Kurt Russell was considered, and Burt Reynolds was considered. I don't know who Mickey Rourke is. You guys probably know who that is. So Quentin Tarantino actually delayed the start of the movie simply because Emma Thurman was pregnant. So despite being bleeped out in the film, the name of the bride is revealed on her plane tickets to Okinawa and Tokyo. They never actually say her name throughout the first movie. They say it in the second movie. You see it on the plane tickets, and then you also can hear it when her... They don't hear it, but they have a hint towards it when her and Oren Ishii say Silly Rabbit tricks is for kids. It just hints towards her name. For this episode, I didn't put any her name at all and anywhere in the notes, simply because they didn't say in this movie, they said in the second one. It took six years to write the entire script before being split into two parts. The original draft was about 220 pages long. The church scene was shot in the Mojave Desert outside of Lancaster, California, even though it's supposed to be in Texas. Just a heads up, guys. You have to keep an eye out during the scene for cameos by Samuel L. Jackson. He's the dead organ player. Quentin Tarantino also, by the way, only had Uma Thurman in mind to play the bride. So the next thing you guys probably will know this whistle, it's Twisted Nerve. She's whistling. You'll hear it in American Horror Story as well by Tate in the first season. When she whistles this theme while entering the hospital, and the whistling from Bernard Herrmann's composition is isolated until Elle enters a changing room, which I thought was pretty cool. In Hotori Hanzo's sushi restaurant, there is a four-character Chinese saying hung above the bar. It says, I'm not saying it in Chinese because I can't pronounce that, so I'm sorry, guys. But in English, this translation, it says, drunk birth, dream death. I kind of like that. It's a rough, meaningful translation is actually to lead an unimportant and often dissipated life, which is, I guess, perfect. It, it, I don't know. It's it's good for a bar, maybe not a sushi bar. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's a little bleak. Probably in a rundown bar is where that blows, belongs, but okay. I could see it in dive bars. I could see it in our bar, which is no longer around. <laughs> Unfortunately, don't worry about that. So the name of the swordmaker Hattori Hanzo is also the name of a samurai who was a warrior or a would-be emperor Oda Nobunaga in the year of 1570. The next fact, Nadine, I actually really, I noticed this, but go ahead. So the House of the Blue Leaves fight sequence took eight weeks to film. The same amount of time it took for Quentin Tarantino to film Pulp Fiction in 1994. When the bride is walking towards the stairs in the House of the Blue Leaves to fight for the first the first round of bodyguards, you see a shot taken from underneath through the glass floor. The soles of her shoes read, fuck you. I thought that was funny. I did not notice that at all. I'll be completely honest. I had to actually watch it the second time around to find it, and I did find it the second time when I watched it through. And then I was like, oh shit, they're not even kidding. It's like a bubble letter, but it's there. 
So the line that O'Ren and the bride speaks together in the House of the Blue Leaves, Silly Rabbit Tricks are for Kids, it refers to an advertising slogan, obviously, but it's also the reference to the bride's name, as I said before. Um, it's I think he specifically put that in there just to hint towards her name since they literally bleeped it out in the movie. You'll see it in the second movie, though. We're watching it next week. All right. So how this movie opens, it starts with a 70s styles music, and then it shifts to a black screen with a woman panting, and the words revenge is a dish best served cold. Then the scene shifts to black and white, showing the bride as the panting woman. Bill is never fully shown, but you can see his hands wiping blood off her face and chatting with her. As he cocks his gun, the bride tells him it's his baby, but, you know, she's just shot anyways. Then the intro music starts, um, introducing the characters and showing a silhouette of the bride in the hospital. From there, we start chapter one, kill two. The scene shifts to the bride pulling up to a front lawn littered with kids' toys. The bride, I love this scene. The bride rings the doorbell of the house, and when the door opens, you see Vernita Green's surprise face in the flashback the day the bride was attacked. And the bride punches her in the face, and they begin fighting. The fight moves throughout the downstairs and destroys the living room until a bus pulls up with Vernita's stuff. As the girl walks in, both women hide their knives behind their back. The little girl asks what's happened, and her mom lies and said it was just their dog. The little girl notices the bride, and Vernita explains she's an old friend, and the bride then tells the girl her name, but it's bleeped out so we can't hear it. Then the bride asks how old she is, and with a little bit of coaxing from Vernita, the little girl tells her four. The bride then talks about the baby she lost that day. She was attacked and how she would be about four now, too, and then gives, you know, Vernita the side eye. Then Vernita sends her daughter to a room upstairs and offers coffee to the bride, and the bride accepts. Which I think is hilarious, by the way, because they literally just got done trying to fucking kill each other, and now they're going to make coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I find that pretty funny, too. The kitchen fight scene was even better. In the kitchen, the bride reveals what Vernita was going by these days, and the women talk about what happened to the bride and how Vernita was part of it. Vernita says she's a different person now, and even though she doesn't deserve the bride's forgiveness, she's asking for the bride not to kill her for her daughter's sake. The bride basically said no. She said she won't kill her in front of the kid, but she still needs to die. The bride then gives Vernita the option of how she wants to die, and Vernita tells her in great detail what she wants to happen, then puts on a show to fix her daughter's cereal and puts her hand in the cereal box and shoots a gun through the bottom of the box towards the bride, but misses. The bride then kicks the coffee mug at Vernita and throws a knife through her heart, which was pretty badass. As she cleans the knife off and turns around, she, she notices Vernita's kid silently staring at her and says she didn't want to kill her mom in front of her, but her mom had it coming. Then the bride says if she's still sore about it when she gets older to come find the... Like, that's so fucked, but it's hilarious, nevertheless. One funny thing I noticed here in the scene is, like, the, the cereal box is named Kaboom. It is. Yeah, yeah it says it in really bright bold letters. <laughs> that's hilarious. I just thought it was funny after she took the shot, like, the just explosion of fucking, like, Fruit Loops all over the place. <laughs> oh, it was good. Chapter one, with Vernita and her daughter... Ends with the bride walking out to the pussy wagon with a voiceover in Japanese of a man talking about a warrior's character. Just before the bride drives off, you can see her cross Vernita off of a list, and it shows that she was the second person on the list. Oren Ishii was the first. From there, we start chapter two, and the scene shifts to this church. The bride and her wedding party was attacked four and a half years earlier in El Paso, Texas. The sheriff pulls up outside the little church and tells his son to give him the gory details. 
His son does, but they quickly figure out the bride is actually alive when she spits in the sheriff's face. The sheriff then says to son number one that she isn't, she ain't dead and looks incredibly disappointed. Then the scene shifts to the bride in the hospital in a coma. L Driver, or California Mountain Snake, then enters the hospital and changes into a nurse costume and somehow manages to get into the bride's room with a tray with a syringe unnoticed. When Elle is in the bride's room, she gives the bride a speech telling her how she hates her but respects her and how killing her in her sleep is just a gift to her. Just as she's about to inject the poison, Elle's cell phone rings. She answers it, and Bill tells her not to kill the bride. They get into a fight over it, and then Elle just just agrees, and they say, I love you to each other, and hangs up. Elle then aggressively tells the bride who's in a coma to just never wake up. The scene shifts to four years later. As the bride wakes up from a coma and realizes she's no longer pregnant and begins to scream cry. Then she hears someone whistling, assumes the worst, and pretends she's in a coma. Two men walk in, and a male nurse named Buck basically tells the guy the price to rape her and the rules that go around it, such as no choking or anything like that. When the stranger goes to kiss the bride, she bites his lip off, which somehow kills him. Who knows? Once the bride has finished killing him, she tries to get off the bed and falls down, finding out that her legs doesn't work from entropy, entropy from how long she was on the bed. And then she hears Buck coming back and grabs the knife off of the guy she just killed and hides in the behind the door. As he walks in and sees the dead guy, she slices his Achilles heel and begins bashing his head with a door, asking where Bill is. Then she sees his name and remembers hearing him talk to her while she was in a coma about raping her, and she repeats what he said to her and then just hits harder with the door and kills him. Once she kills Buck, she steals his keys and clothes, finds a wheelchair, and goes looking for his truck, the pussy wagon. She then tries to retrain herself to walk in the truck. As the bride is teaching her to walk again or wiggle, wiggle her big toe, she remembers what happens to her in the church and points out that her first victim will be Oren Ishii as she is the easiest to find because she's the head of Japan's criminal underground. From there, we start Chapter 3, The Origin of Oren Ishii. And the scene shifts to an anime-style retelling of Oren Ishii's past, arguably my favorite part in the movie and the best. The retelling shows her start to a career of crime and violence, began with watching the violent death of her parents by the Yakuza boss, which she eventually gets revenge on in her teens. From there, it goes to explain she was one of the top female assassins by the time she was 20 and explains the attack she had on the church again. After remembering that, the bride wiggles a toe. It's just dramatic wiggling. The screen then shifts to 13 hours later, and you see the bride's feet slowly come out of the back of the seat to the front and then her drive off. Then you see her in a different outfit, buying a one-way ticket to Okinawa, where the screen shifts and we start Chapter 4, The Man from Okinawa. From there, we see the bride in a full tourist getup walking into a Japanese restaurant. She engages in a friendly English conversation with a man behind the counter who's arguing with the guy in the background. and still playing like she doesn't know who he is until she reveals she's there to find Hattori Hanzo, the guy behind the counter. And the mood shifts. She explains that she has quote-unquote vermin to kill and obviously refers to the divas. Hanzo then brings her up where he keeps his swords, but refuses to make her give her one until she hints at who she's going for. Bill, she says, and he concedes to make her one, and that she could stay with him until it's finished. A month later, when it's done, you could see him giving the bride the sword and declaring it's one of the best swords he has made so far. 
Chapter 5, The Showdown at the House of Blue Leaves, then begins. From there, the bride explains that a year after the attack on the church, Bill backed Oren and her struggle with the other Yakuza clans to be the boss of all Yakuza clans. The other Yakuza bosses are celebrating her rise to power, but one who is not okay with her lineage. To which, Oren responds by cutting off his head. The scene then shows the bride buying a ticket to Tokyo, and Oren and her posse all traveling to the bar they will have their final showdown at. Oren and her gang arrive at the bar slash restaurant after the bride, and the bride watches as they come in. The bride follows them upstairs where they're partying, and Oren sends Gogo to check it out. Gogo doesn't see anyone as the bride is hiding up in the rafters in a really dramatic, just tense scene, and goes back to the party, and the bride down goes down to the bathroom to come up with a plan. Well, in the bathroom, she hears Sophie's phone ring and remembers Sophie being the church four years ago. The bride then takes Sophie's leverage, since she is Oren's best friend, and calls to Oren, telling her they have unfinished business as she cuts Sophie's arm off when Oren comes out. Oren then sends the crazy 88 members she has there after the bride, and the bride cuts them down. Oren then sends Gogo and the bride, tries to convince her not to fight, but Gogo does not listen and just dies as well. Just as the bride is about to fight Oren, the rest of the crazy 88 shows up, and she has to fight and kill or maim them before she faces off against Oren. She tells everyone they can leave except Sophie um, and goes after Oren. The bride finds Oren in a snow-covered Japanese garden and is asked upon arrival who made her sword. When the bride reveals it was Hanzo, Oren doesn't believe her, and they begin her fight. At first, they seem to be evenly matched until Oren cuts open the bride's back and she collapses. When Oren believes she's won and antagonizes her, but of course, the bride comes back and slices open Oren's leg. Once that happens, Oren pulls out the apologetics for taunting her and begins to fight more seriously. The fight from there really doesn't last much longer, and the bride cuts off the top of Oren's head. As Oren falls to the ground and her cranium skull piece flops into the snow, she exclaims the bride's sword was actually a Hattori Hanzo's sword all along and then dies. The scene then shows the bride crossing off Oren's name and shoving Sophie down in the trunk of her own car. And then drives her to the hospital and rolls her down a hill to the ambulance bay. The scene then shows Sophie being visited by Bill in the hospital. Again, Bill seems to have a weird romantic relationship with Sophie. As she tells him what the bride told her, the scene flashes back to show the bride telling Sophie she kept her alive for two reasons. The first was for information. The second was so that Sophie could tell Bill she is coming for him. The scene then shifts to her on the plane, crossing out a name on a hit list. And Hanzo's speech about revenge, as you see... Each of the remaining deadly vipers say what they think about her coming up after them. And then the last scene in the movie, Bill reveals that her daughter is still alive by asking Sophie. That is a lot of a synopsis, but I can, I'm, I can boil it down to a single sentence for you. A pregnant woman gets upset about being uh, nearly killed, so she wakes up from a coma and attacks and kills everyone that she can. I mean, that's not quite accurate, but okay. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So this movie is basically one of those movies that you don't have, like, a shit ton of beaver meaning to it because it's basically just blood and gore. It does have a story behind it, but there's nothing really that you can take out of it that's really a deeper meaning. I think, personally, this movie's great, though there is some things in this movie that I'm like, if this was the real world, people would be really fucked up. Like, Nikki, the Ronita's kid, she saw her mom die. Like get murdered. Yeah, yeah. They just glossed over it in a, a comedic timing. Like, oh yeah. Um, if you're upset one day, you can come after me. By the way, like you can if you want. I forget like what happens in the volume two, but like 
I hope there's some payoff on that, but like in this movie, there's definitely not. I don't think they go back to her kid at all in volume two. I want to share something. Something that gives me a weird connection to this movie that I'm not really sure about. First off, the music. I love the music in this movie. But that's not what I'm bringing up. I'm bringing to the table that I watched this movie as a kid in church. They played it in our summer camp in church. And after the movie was over, explained to us why blah, 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 this, God, whatever. And this is this movie is Satan. So I have a weird connection to this movie from my childhood. That's why when I heard Kill Bill, I was like, oh, dear. See, I kind of feel similarly because I... What, this this movie Satan? Oh, no, (laughs) because... I I have a weird personal connection to this movie because I think it came out when I was, like, 60 or 17. So this was, like, I think one of the first, like, R-rated movies I could see with my friends and not, like, with my parents. So that 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 will uh, kind of shade my judgment of it and analysis of it, but it, it, more to come. It came out when I was in like eighth or ninth grade. I watched it with my dad on the couch, and my mom was pissed about it, which I thought meant she hated the movie. Apparently, she loved the movie. She just didn't want me to see it. Speaking of, I want to share with you guys this movie, and I was telling Dan this beforehand, Nadine, but I have to bring it up again. I'm so torn about this movie internally. There are so many good aspects to this movie. But it's not like the fifth element where the good just keeps going. It's like a good aspect. The movie just dies down and gets really fucking boring or something just absolutely wretched happens. And then good aspect and then boring. Good aspect, boring. And then it's just like constantly like that. So like honestly what you could do with this movie is pick and choose certain scenes and you'd still have the full understanding of the movie. Like it's a really good movie, but there's so much filler in it. Just awkward, awkward shit. I don't like awkward shit. I don't know about awkward, but I would say I can see where you would think there'd be filler because there's a lot of the movie where maybe some of the scenes were not necessary, whereas other of the scenes it was like, yeah, just added to it. You know, it made it better. It made the story come around better. You had more of an idea of the development of the characters. Also, the weird time skips, too. Kind of weird, like how it starts out with her in the very beginning four years earlier. And then it comes to five years after or whatever, like weird time skip. And then it goes back in time again. It's just like, it's kind of hard to follow. And that's not really a negative per se. If you're really paying attention, it doesn't bother you. But like, it's just a casual viewer. Like I am, I was watching it. And I was just like, for like a good minute or two, I'm like, the fuck happened to the last scene? Oh, that, that's like a well-known signature of uh, the director of this one though. Well, Quentin Tarantino is not someone that I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm not a fond of. I just don't really. The last movie I watched from Quentin Tarantino was The Joker. And that was a good movie. I don't think he did The Joker. Yeah, he did The Joker movie. The, the most recent Joker? Didn't he? Yeah, he did. No. It... I don't know, because I, I, you, you can't even ask me, because I get Michael Bay confused with literally every director. <laughs> <laughs> no, that the Joker was Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. Okay. Well, anyways, and I don't know why I brought that. Bradley up. Cooper. That's. I hope you know Satori is laughing at me right now. Yeah. No, like Quentin Tarantino, like he he makes it a big deal when he he comes out with a movie. Like I think he said he's only going to do Ted ever, and this is like the most controversial one because it's like, is it part one or part, part two or is it one movie? So he said it was one, but I think that's just so that he could make another movie. Yeah. Uh, but like. 
this movie, if you look at the two movies, the direction that they go with it, like the way he directs it, it's different. This movie doesn't feel that heavy, and I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly with volume two, it feels heavier. I don't know. Just overall, I'm um, I'm torn heavily about this movie. There's a lot of good things about it. The fight scenes, the choreography, the animated sequence, which by far is my favorite part of this movie. The uh, the mafia, no, sorry, the yakuza head scene, um, where he decap- decapitates the uh, the person who's just like, oh, your lineage. Like, there's a lot of classic moments about the scene. Also, that little jingle, um, one of my favorite jingles ever. Like that, it's just so fucking catchy. There's just so many things about this movie that I love, but so many things that I just don't care for either. And that's why I'm really torn. It's not, again, like I said before, it's not like The Fifth Element where it's just everything is good, 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 hilarious. This is just really good parts with um, a couple of things stuffed in between. Yeah, what do you think? No, I, I, I kind of see where you're coming from because, like, there's a, so much I, I, I really like this movie. I love the visuals. I even like the, the time jumps that kind of like does it in a way that like it's not that hard to follow. It engages you. It does. What the movie doesn't have is there, there's no, there's really no depth. Like it's pretty cut and dry. Like what's going on? It is. It's one of those movies that's just straightforward. Like I was saying like at the beginning of this, like I, it's just one of those movies that is. You don't have a deeper meaning to it. You just yeah. is there is nuggets in throughout throughout it though, where you like may not notice small things that he's put into the movie that you'll just like kind of notice as you're watching through like second, third, fourth, fifth watch through. Yeah, there's Easter eggs. There is Easter eggs for sure. Seeing a lot of this stuff on TV in the early two thousands is kind of a shock factor, and I feel like that's what they were definitely going for. But there's just so much shocking stuff in this movie. That, you know, for me personally, it kind of kills it. Um, and that's where another torn thing about it is like this, like what you said on here. Can you imagine being completely conscious and pretending to still be in a coma only to find out you've been clearly raped for years while you were in a coma? Like, what the fuck? That's like a good That's just point, though, about why. Yeah. No, like the, there, it's controversy for the for the sake of being controversy. I feel sometimes because if you read this movie script on paper, it seems like a it'd be like a huge thing amongst like say like okay, someone like overcome the circumstance. But I feel like it really appeals more to like college, high school males. Like it's it's a frat boy movie because it's like hot chicks swinging swords and kill each other. Yeah, and then like looking at it from that, like I don't see the appeal for that. Like when I watch a movie. I either like superhero movies, something like that is a great story, or something freaking hilarious. And this is just like all three of those it failed miserably at. There were some great funny scenes in it, but it, you're right. It does feel exactly like a freaking frat movie. Yeah. And this is why, like, I'm so... Every time you guys talk about Quentin Tarantino, it cracks me up. Because, like, every movie I've heard with him is just he's just a nut job, really. Like, I guarantee he's a great... I don't know why he's the way he is. Like, the movies he comes out with, he's a fucking nut job, but everyone seems to love him. And this is one of those movies, too. Everyone seems to love this movie, and I just can't find that same appreciation for it. See, it's not... I don't think everyone seems to love it. I think it's some people love it, and then some people hate it. And then I think other people are just, like, eh with it. Because it, the way that it, it does have rape in it, it does have an obscene amount of blood. An obscene amount. Yes. And as a person as a person who does get queasy at the sight of blood, even on movies, is one of the main reasons why I can't watch horror movies. That was just like a uh, okay. 
Now it was it was obviously not real blood. It literally looked like someone cut open a ketchup packet or or like fucking fire hosed red dye. And, and but I'm, still, I'm not squeamish when it comes to like blood or movies, but like the one scene that got to me was like when she sliced the uh, the guy's foot in the beginning. I was like, oh my god, that. That got me. Uh, See, it's funny. Yeah. I'm only. It bothers me with gut stuff. I don't like guts. Oh yeah, when she stabbed the dude and his and his fucking stomach came out, and I was just like, "What the?" F-? And it was obviously like they held like a freaking Tupperware container of like mashed potatoes wrapped in like cheese or something to make it look like it was guts. But like, still, it was just like, "What the fuck?" Now, let's talk about the good things because there's a lot of negative things. I can keep going that forever, but the good things about this movie that really got me going. Whatever art style they used for Oren's backstory was fucking cool. I'm not sure who the artist is, but I do know that I think there was like a comic. He might have like I think Quentin Tarantino might have made it. I'm not sure. I know he like wanted to do a full comic with it. That was that's so fucking cool. And that's why like when I said this could have been an anime, like if this was made into an anime, everything would just make sense a lot easier for me because I watch anime. But that scene in particular, even if it just stays the way it is, is such a good scene. I don't know what it is, but, like, I guess it's because Satori with her art and stuff and showing me all the different art styles, like, even she agreed that this, that was a really, really cool art scene. And the way they did different art things, like where the sniper bullet went through that politician's head or businessman's head, and then it just shows a giant hole with a little bit of guts in the, in the middle of the hole, and then all of a sudden the girl's looking through it on the side. It was just really cool. It's a very interesting way to do it. Plus, I've never had an animated sequence in the middle of a movie before. It, it's actually shocking to me that this this movie only costs like thirty million, and I, I know that's like two thousand three money, but like there there's not usually like this movie is near perfect. I, I don't think there's one scene where I'm like, eh, that, that doesn't seem like it's going to age well, or like it, right there. Dan actually follows the one thing that Nadine put in here uh-huh. is how the movie was shot. Yeah. This wasn't the early 2000s, like, where they're trying new things with the with CGI explosions and stuff, like the, the, the classic fucking movies in the early 2000s and stuff like that. They used all of the mastered stuff from the 80s and 90s and put that with 2000s um, technology, and it really looked good. I will say that. Yeah, so it definitely, like, it uses every penny perfectly when they made this movie is what my point was. It's seamless. Each shot is just timeless, and, like, it's a pretty movie. It was beautifully done. It is. Yeah, I will say that. On top of that, I want to talk about the choreography of that fight scene at the very end. The long fucking 100 people fight scene. First off, holy shit. Holy shit. Second off, there was so many fucking hilarious moments that when you pick them out piece by piece, like, it just doesn't make sense at all. Like, where the guy throwing the axe completely fucking misses and hits um, another gang member from behind. He gets the axe in his face, and you just see him dramatically, like, backstepping, like, 20 steps and falls over. Or when uh, when the guy got his legs cut off on the, when, he, when they were on the railing and he falls over, and he's like, ah, ah, and screams, falls over, and he lands on the pole and he dies. He just fucking dies. Like, normally you would think it would last a little bit longer, but nope, he's just fucking dead. I loved when spanked the yakuza guy <laughs> she was like this is what you get for fucking with the yakuza now go run home to your mommy <laughs> yeah the fucking yeah <laughs> it's just or um like i've never seen a sword 
be or a katana for that example be sliced and then just perfectly cut someone's arm off or leg off or with her fingers pluck someone's eyeball out like there's so many tiny little tidbits in that choreography that just made me kind of like i'd watch that again actually so i could pick it out again it was actually pretty good that choreography is something to die for it it was it was actually very well done like they did it perfectly honestly i think i do there is a couple things in the costume though i do want to talk about that i thought was crazy did you so when the hospital scene when she's in a coma when l driver's there um the blonde chick with the eye patch did you notice that everything that she owns that she's wearing the seams are drawn on her buttons are actually buttons but they have like a drawn on circle on it she's got a fake drawn on belt that doesn't isn't actually a belt it's just for decoration the seams on her shoes her gloves her eye patch her jacket even you know what that sounds like that that sounds like they were actually running out of budget and they were like shit we now fits uh I got a barker. <laughs> it actually looks like it wasn't even like, it looks like a cartoon. Like it looks like that was purposely her outfit. Cause every single thing had that seam on it. I just thought that was like really crazy. And then what else I thought was crazy is in that same, a coma scene, she dresses in a 1950s style nurse outfit. Now you see that 1950s style nurse outfit on two other nurses that walk around the hospital, but in the background, you can see another nurse walk out with fucking scrubs on. I thought that was pretty interesting, too. But I feel like the reason why they did that is to put over-dramatization on that character, who I feel like is going to be very important in the next movie. She is, but she wasn't the only one wearing that costume. I just The reason why I pointed it out is because it looked like only the men were wearing the scrubs, but then I saw a woman wear a purple scrub. So I'm actually kind of curious if that particular scene was actually done in an actual hospital. And, like... You can't clear a hospital wing. Maybe, yeah. So you actually saw the nurses in the back. Because you see, right as she comes out the room, a woman nurse come out in purple scrubs, and her hair is pulled out in a low ponytail. She's got blonde hair. And then right after that, she walks up the hallway, and she sees another nurse in the exact same 50s-style nurse costume that she's in. So it's like two different women wearing two different things. I, I, I think that is... Something I I noticed as well as just like it, if it was just her that has like the weird 1950s nurse nurse outfit and everybody else is normal like okay whatever she you're just creating some contrast and like dramatize like the uh, the scenario but like the fact that there's two of them and like it's kind of just random that also the background with just normal scrubs too yeah. well there's actually three of them yeah there's one in the scene with Brock as well uh, you see a woman wearing 1950s style costume of nurse it's like that all white style. But you Buck is walking around, and he's a nurse, and he's wearing scrubs. It's also, like, the, the least secure hospital I've ever seen. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The fact that it's fucking walking in a different goddamn outfit with a freaking syringe of, like, some scary liquid and pills, like, just walking. And, and then even as she escapes, like, no one, no one notices she, she kills two people, like, the, the medical staff, climbs into the parking lot. No one realize like she's leaving a trail of blood behind her or anything. It's just like okay. I think it's supposed. I think part of that is it's supposed to be like the 1970s and how every single movie made nowadays in a 1970s format seems to picture the 1970s as uncivilized. Don't they have like cell phones or something in this movie? They do. Is there anything that ages it? Yeah. I have no idea why there's no security at this hospital at all because she does kill one guy and then kill another guy without anyone noticing that she's killed these two guys. Now, don't get me wrong. She's in a coma ward, but like 
they do have to check on the coma patients. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me the guys that the nurses that or the, the scrub nurses that walk by be like, huh? Two dead people. No, they're probably just in a coma. Or, or even if it's just someone watering like her, her like like her heart monitor, oh, like the, someone disconnected the heart monitor, or like someone's flatlining. What's going on there? Another thing, I guess, being a being a fucking revengeful assassin means that you don't have to pay crippling debt and bills, and you can casually escape the country with a, you know, and all that stuff. I mean, overall, for me, the movie kind of was like one of those movies that you really just throw on because you know it's going to be, you know, a it's going to be an okay movie. Um, it's not a bad movie. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say, the top of its class either. It is a solid choice for a movie if you want to get into Quentin Tarantino movies, I suppose. Not that I've actually watched that many. But I, there's so many good things, but so many negative things, but none of the good or bad were so highlighted as amazing or horrible that it's just kind of like I watched it like, yeah, that's that's neat. Or, wow, that's... That's kind of boring. In my opinion, the best part about this movie, the animated sequence and the uh, the classic Kill Bill theme song. I actually do think that this movie is pretty good because it does have, I think, a good story. It's just not a linear story, so it's harder to follow. If you were to splice the movie up and put it all in a row in the right sequence, the story would become better because it is, it is kind of a trope. Don't get me wrong. Classic revenge story, but... Think of it this way. She gets attacked and murdered by her ex-lover in the church while she's about to burst from having a baby, and she's about to get married. So they kill all her new friends. They try to kill her, and she thinks she's lost her baby. She is in a coma for four years, wakes up, finds out that she's no longer pregnant. She knew in the movie she was there for four years, but when you wake up, you don't really know how long you've been there. So imagine she doesn't know how long she's been there, right? Don't know how long you've been in a coma. Hear someone coming. Knew someone had killed you before. They're probably coming off, coming to finish you off. You go pretend you're back in a coma and then find out you've been raped for the last four years. Not only did you lose your baby, not only did someone try to kill you who you used to love, but you've also been raped. So now you're pissed off. You're on a revenge path to kill the people who killed your kid because you wanted to have that baby if you're that far along. And it goes on to her having her revenge because she feels like even if they changed, like Bernita Green, they have that whole conversation, they're still not square. She has a husband. She has a a daughter. And Bernita says, I know you want to get your revenge. You want to be square with us like you want this to be even but it wouldn't be even even by just killing her she just wants them dead because they did something horrible to her and that's actually a pretty good storyline if you follow it but it's not linear so it's harder to follow i don't know this this goes back to weird science for me nadine where honestly anyone could have thought up this storyline it's just a it's definitely not a unique super deep storyline no, it's not. It, and I get the linear storyline thing, and I get that it has a storyline, but, you know, it's another one of those things. It's not unique, I'll give you that, but I think if they shot it linearly and it was a different director, like, I love this movie, this is a good movie, and I like Pulp Fiction, but I'm not a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, to be honest with you. You could make a really deep movie out of this, or you could make a movie like this out of this, and he decided to do this. The story is not a bad story, and I think what he did with it and made it the way he did is actually really great and it's actually really unique. I've never seen an anime shot in the middle of a live-action fucking movie ever. <laughs> so that was unique. You know what? You know what, Nadine? 
I have a great way to put this movie. This is the best movie of all B-rated movies. Well, that, that's what he like really plays, tries to like pay homage to is like B slasher like Western samurai movies. East, like did you say Western samurai movies? Like spaghetti westerns. Yeah, is what right. say. yeah, spaghetti western samurai, uh, like slasher films. Like it, it, not not like horror slasher, but like. There's like there's like a, a whole genre of like B movies like this where like they're over the top gore, bloodiness, and like that's what Quentin Tarantino like tries to like do in a lot of his movies actually. So I've watched a couple of uh, there's a couple of YouTubers out there you can find that are directors and have directed a movie, and none of them are successful. That's why they're a YouTuber, not a director. And they'll go over, you know, the intricacies and difficulties of doing, you know, directing movies and stuff like that and how it is such a struggle with a low budget. I'm not saying I'm not impressed. I am genuinely impressed by the movie because with such a low budget and, you know, he pumped out a movie that six times the value of the movie. And now everyone knows who a Kill Bill is. If you bring it up, they know what it is, whether or not they've watched it or not, because it's so iconic. But... I don't think that it's a fantastic movie. It just happened to be relevant around the time period. And there was a lot of shocking things and it caused it to uh, blow up. I don't really think the movie deserves the spotlight in my opinion, because it's just a decent movie. It's not a good one. It's not a bad one. It's a decent movie and a couple of good highlights. And that's about it. Right. It sounds like we're getting over to the rating section and we're almost an hour in anyway. So you might as well just, you know, go to the next segment. So do we agree or disagree that it belongs in the cult movie list? And why do we think that? I know exactly what Dan's going to say. So we're going to start off with Dan. All right. I, I struggle with this a lot. I think this fits the definition of a cult classic. It has an underlying following. It kind of is going to be known uh, generation to generation because it, it's, it's Kill Bill. But I, I think it just straddles a line between like pop culture and just it, it doesn't sing the notes of a cult classic to me. And I, I wish I had more of a way to back that up, but that's ultimately where I land. It's just, it's just not quite a cult classic. Well, one thing that he did want to do that he was discussing that I didn't even ask you before we started recording, John, was that he's like, I want to see the other volume. They're technically two different movies because he directed them yeah. differently, but because it's not a complete story, he's like, I don't know how I can put this. Well, Let's take it at face value, right? Like you said this before, for any two-parters, we're going to identify the first part as a different movie than the second part, unless it's one of those two-parter movies that you have to watch both at once. But for this movie, though, Dan, yes, what would you say? This movie in particular, not the second. I know you've probably watched the second, if you haven't already, but what is this movie? So I have not... I haven't seen the second. I've seen the second like year ago, but I, I don't know if you guys just convinced me or just talked about like, I'm going to call this this portion of Kill Bill, a cult classic, just because I'm thinking of like the different scenes that like are just kind of iconic and how it is kind of a very, it's a very acquired taste. So I'm going to call this volume one a cult classic. You guys swung me over the other way. I was going to be very animate about not being called a cult classic, but that, that's, that's John it. John swung you the other way because I literally was like, we had talked about this. Like, <laughs> we got like an arguments. Well, this is why I want to share mine, Nadine. This is why I kind of swung you the other way, right? 
So when we originally created this idea, um, we wanted it to be at face value. Now, this has a lot of the cult classic elements into it. However, a cult classic is, Nadine, would you call a movie in the 1960s, in all honesty, a movie that was very good, very popular, succeeded very well, 40 years later, still as popular as ever, be a cult classic. It depends on who the followers are. A cult classic is basically a niche group of people who follow it, that consider it fashionable. It's This is niche. I don't think it's neat. I really don't. And I, I totally get where you're coming from, but every person I talk to knows what Kill Bill is. It's but do they watch it? Yes. I've met so many people in my day-to-day life that have watched this movie. See, that's, I have the opposite. I have a lot of people who don't watch it. A lot of people that I've known who know the movie, but they just don't watch this movie. And that's why I'm like, it's cool. Because we kind of forgot about it after it was re- the second one was released. I know we watched it for a while, and it did play on TV a bit. I mean, I was in high school at the time. I wasn't in college. But first volume and second volume, they played it a bit, but then it kind of died off. I, I guess it's because I grew up in Florida, Nadine. Because that's where all the fucking old people live. Like, everyone I knew, everyone I talked to knew this movie. My fucking grandparents knew this movie. It's not that old. Like, no, they, they just know this movie. And I don't know what it is, but I, it's not... Maybe it's because it's making a comeback recently or something like that. But I'm even more, like, even more in between than Dan is. Like, I'm struggling on this movie. So... That's because Dan and I discussed it overtly for, like, almost a week straight. The first time we were going to record it, we discussed it, and then tonight we discussed it, too. And I think the reason why I'm on it, that I'm like, yes, this is a cult classic, because it does hit all the markers for a cult classic, in my opinion. A lot of people know it, but not a lot of people actually watch it. Does everyone who who knows of the movie actually watch the movie and like the movie? Are they just watching a Tarantino movie? I have to ask you then, Nadine. I totally get that. But would you agree that this is technically an opinion? It's not. So that's a problem. Like, if you're not a huge, like, I guess if you're not, like, a film person, and I don't think any any of the three of us are really huge film people, you would say, like, yeah, it's totally an opinion. But then someone who's, like, a huge film junkie would be like, no, cult classics are, like, they're a category. I'm I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. For the sake of continuity, I'm going to be the same page as Dan where I'm going to say yes, but really deep down, I'm so ambivalent on it that I just don't know what to choose. I'm struck in between, and the reason is because I know this movie, and I've watched this movie. I fucking watched it in church when I was younger. I know so many people that know this movie. I've talked to people about this movie, and they say it's a great movie. Like, it's something that actually pops up, so I'm so struck about because when i think of a cult classic nadine and by definition it's a niche category because of something in particular hence why like rocky horror picture show that spoke to a lot of people back then princess bride would end up not being a cult movie though if that's the case but that's how i define it because of what we've read but yeah no i I think this fits the definition of a cult classic it just doesn't feel like a cult classic thank you Thank you. That's that's how I'm best describing it. Dan, why don't you just, and that, why don't you just talk to me? And there's no me, real damn. basis other than, like, your own personal opinion. But I think what we outlined in the first episode here is that, like, if this fits all the checks of, like, a cult classic, 
it's just uh i don't know if it just doesn't have the like when you watch weird science like for fucking downright sake that is a cult classic like everyone everyone that watches that movie is gonna be like what the hell is this like who someone has to be a special type of person to like this movie so I, what? I said that was no cult classic because I, I I think it was just a product of its of its time, and like there's so many movies if you go back to the '80s that are exactly like the same premise. All right, well let's rephrase it. Fifth Element is a fucking yeah. cult classic. I don't know. I'm gonna be struck on this for a while, Nadine. I want to keep going on it. I think it is a cult classic, and the reason I feel like it's a cult classic is because it does have a bit of a niche following. Um, I, where you're from, John, I have no idea why everyone knows, like, everyone, like, watches and loves this movie, because I know a lot of people who know the movie, who watch the movie, and fucking hated the movie. And then I know a lot of people who know the movie and love the movie, and then I have a lot of people that I know who know the movie but never seen it. Well, I know, I I'm also friends with a lot of older people around the generation where they're in their mid-20s, so I guess that's just the thing. It came out the right period of time for the people I'm with. Yeah, I, I would say, like, my brother is 10 years younger than me, and I don't think him and his friends are watching it. I know there's got to be people who are in his age group that are, because they probably have people like us, and it is kind of something that really attracts to younger men. It's, like, well, it's more for younger men. Um, so I'd imagine they'd probably be like, yeah, this is cool, but he doesn't watch it. I, I'm pretty sure both of my sisters are not into this movie at all. I don't think they'd like it at all. I was surprised that my mom liked it, but she liked it. My dad likes it. I don't. My stepmom does not like it. I don't even think my grandmother knows what this movie is. To be fair, she is almost a hundred, so. I, I, I don't feel like that really applies. <laughs> that that um, doesn't apply for that one. She's like almost a hundred. And there's not a category for this, obviously, but I have to say, the music from this movie is timeless. Hundred percent timeless. People actually, and I think follow this movie for the music too. There's actually some people who and uh, that, that's why I want to put it into a cult classic perspective. For me, that Kill Bill whistle, I kid you not, was my ringtone for five years. I loved it. I still really like it. When I was on the Navy base in Charleston, South Carolina, I would whistle it. And because we were all so close together, I would just hear Kill Bill whistles from other people whistling it across the base. Twisted Nervous from another movie, too. It's not just Kill Bill isn't the first one. Obviously, but Kill Bill is what solidified it. I don't know that other movie. All I know is that Kill Bill is, is the movie that has it. So Kill Bill didn't solidify the... it. It's actually famous for the first movie. It doesn't do anything new, but it just combines all these other things that have been done in a different way that makes this thing. And it's, it's good. I like it. Your descriptions um, are fucking amazing, Dan. I try. This movie is so different, but the way it does those things is what makes it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not unique. It doesn't do anything new, but it combines them in a different... It, not even a different way. It just combines them in a place that you've never seen all at the same time before. That makes it something... Okay. If you put it like that, it makes sense. It's a collective of a bunch of, of other yes. movies. That's, and then culminates it into... Yes, it's the, a, it's basically a, a collective letter. of all these different movies that is a cult classic. It's a love letter to different genres, which is what Tarantino's known for. And I hate to like go back to that's his 
but I'm I'm struggling with it. But Nadine, we could argue about this all day because Dan and I, I, mean, Dan and I did it for like two hours today. It's no big deal because like I'm sure everyone has an opinion. There's a lot of movies that do struggle that line. And I'm assuming because it's a cult classic is literally for a niche group of people that it does change over time because Princess Bride has gotten more huge over the years. I fucking love Princess Bride. Exactly. I can't wait to watch that movie. But like that's what I'm saying. Like everyone knows the Princess Bride. I'm pretty sure most people have seen the Princess Bride, and it's one of those ones that I think is starting to go into like mainstream. So it's starting to straddle that line. Like, is it really a cult classic still? Would you consider that? Well, let's just let's just take it at, at face value, Nadine. We all said yes to it. However struggled we were, by definition, I would say yes. Okay. All right. So let's rate the movie, Dan. Uh, I'm going to go with eight. Okay. Uh, Nadine, because I want to go last, because no one's going to like my fucking answer. I'm uh, an eight as well, to be honest with you. Crew neutral. I have so many things I like about this movie, but so many things I'd rather just fucking skip. I'm going to give it a five. Dude, I totally called that. Did I not call that, Dan? I thought he was going to give it a five. <laughs> it's not a negative five. It is when I give the way I rate things, and I want to explain, I'm going to explain this every fucking episode. A 10 to me is God. Like, that movie deserves the holy grail of literally cinema. Like, that, I would watch that movie and be so stunned my eyes are burning. Right? A one is like Where the Wild Things Are movie. Just a movie that shouldn't exist in the fucking first place. For example, two, for Surf Nazis Must Die. That was so close to not deserving to be existing, I gave it a two. Weird I, Science was a four because it was bad. It was, like, it was bad, but it was a movie, nevertheless. That's, that's, that's how I do my rating system. And for me, Kill Bill has so many redeeming qualities, but so many negative qualities to it. For me personally, it's true neutral. That is a five. Not bad, not good. Okay, fair enough. We'll go with five for yep. you. I still, which one is, this is not the highest rated one. Which one's the highest rated one that we've done so far? I think it's the last one we did, right? It was uh, between uh, Solaris and this one, or the one before. Solaris and the Fifth Element both got like seven plus on every one of us. I think, uh, did I give a nine to uh, Fifth Element? I did. Yeah. Wait, I did. You did, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, now you guys know my rating system, so there's Surf Nazis Must Die to Fifth Element, and this one's right in between. I guess that's fair. To be fair, I'm probably going to watch that fucking movie again, Fifth Element. I just got to pick a right time for it. Anyways, um, so that's an eight and eight and a five. You know, I feel like from now on, I'm going to be the one guy that's just like your normal everyday viewer that just watches these movies like, what the fuck is this? And Nadine's, like, fangirling over the movies, and Dan's like, you know what, I can see why, and I'm just like, the fuck is this? Because <laughs> I love cult <laughs> movies. I grew up with B, horror movies, and, like, cult movies my whole life. <laughs> you know, I, I just like seeing other people's perspective. Do you like my almost always negative perspective on movies? John hates everything. You do. You, you really do. Wait, what? <laughs> no. Why don't we uh, see who we recommend the movie, so... Dan, yes. would you recommend this? <laughs> yes, I, I'd recommend this. I, I think, like, if you've ever seen a Quentin Tarantino movie, this is, like, a good jump up, jumping in point. It's not too deep. It's, like, it's easy to get through. The, the time jumps don't get you too, like, 
out of whack. So definitely check this movie out. It's uh, it's it's worth a watch. Nadine, I would recommend the movie. It's it's a pretty decent movie, I think personally. I do like that there's a shit ton of fighting scenes. I think it's kind of funny with how over the top he did with like the amount of blood that comes out of people. <laughs> I think that's pretty hilarious, and I think the storyline's pretty good. So yeah, I would say go for it. No, I'm gonna go now. I personally wouldn't recommend this. If you want to watch it, sure, go ahead. If any of our viewers, you know, feel like watching it, absolutely, you know, go for it. But I would not recommend this. It's just a movie. It's another one on the list. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just a fucking movie. And if you find it on net, if you find it on uh, HBO Max, and you're like, oh, I've heard of this, watch it. But outside of that, don't, don't, don't push yourself to watch a movie that's just so normal. It's just a movie. You're weird, John. <laughs> you know what, Nadine? Thank you. Did you guys have anything <laughs> else you wanted to put don't in about this movie? Don't laugh at me, movie? you asshole. <laughs> um, I want to reinforce the previous thought that I had. Um, this movie is got me concerned about the next movie. I've always heard of Kill Bill. I have never heard there were two volumes. God, I just I, want to. I feel like I just want to put that out there. I've always heard of the first volume. I thought that was the movie. I didn't realize when we're talking about Kill Bill, it's a fucking genre. Yeah, this one wasn't your movies. choice, but it's the byproduct of your choice. So yeah, it's your fault. Donnie Darko was going to be my choice. Man, you chose this. I didn't choose Kill Bill. John, you chose I, this movie. <laughs> this is you your told pick. Me to pick a movie from 2004. I gave you the ones of the. List you know, I tell people in my life, Dan, not to trust me. And look what you guys did. You trusted me. Okay, well, just so you know, John, this week... I'm still responsible for Surf Bussies. Yeah, he so, is responsible. Okay, you're never going to fucking live that down, dude. You tortured me for two hours. It wasn't even that long. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You want to know why it was two hours? Because I had to fucking pause it and walk away from the damn film to come back five minutes later. It was like taking an exam in college. I had to take a break, man. All right, <laughs> Dan, do you have anything Sorry, else you want to put in there? I, I, I'm good. Let's we can uh we can wrap up. All right. <laughs> There's nothing else I gotta say either. So if you guys have any movie recommendations or just want to talk to us about movies, you can find us on Facebook through our group She's Not a Slut Yet. Slut is S with three stars. Or you can email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and re- subscribe. It does really help us get us out there, and it helps more people find us. Uh, just as a heads up, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, we will be reviewing Kill Bill Volume 2, just because we reviewed Kill Bill Volume 1 this week. It was released in 2004, so, you know, if you like this podcast uh, entry, you come back next week and make sure to listen to that one. Sounds good to me. Bye, guys. Bye.